It is good to be back. Thank you for coming back uh, for part two. Um, probably this is true of many of us. I grew up in the church, grew up in Sunday school, learning the biblical stories. True of many of you as well. And I'm grateful for that heritage. I'm grateful for that experience. Uh, as I look back and remember those days, uh, what I remember from flannel graph stories is, um, is the way the stories largely were interpreted as morality tales. And the application was you should be a good little boy a good little, or a good little girl or bad things will happen. And I'm not arguing that teaching children to be good is a bad thing. It actually is a good thing to teach them that. The second misunderstanding I had, and it's taken a long time to um, recognize this, the second misunderstanding I had that most of the biblical stories revolved around heroes. So I grew up believing that Abraham was a great man of faith, a hero of the faith, and we should grow up to be just like him. And then I grew up and realized I had grown up to be just like him, and that's the problem. That the only hero of the biblical story is named Jesus. Every other story in the scripture is a story of the kind of people God uses. I meet people periodically who tell me they never struggle with the faith. It comes easy to them, and it's, they, they don't struggle. I, I don't know the world they live in. Identify with Father Abraham, for whom the walk of faith was a struggle. The third observation from growing up in the church in Sunday school, and it's closely related to the second observation, but it's also related to the first, is that there are a lot of characters in the biblical story that were passed over, that were ignored. Or if they were part of the story, they were part of the story only as they connected to the hero of the story. They were secondary characters, and many times they were foils for the hero of the story. And there, were, there are times and places where that's the way a story is told. But as I've read through the biblical story, as I work through these stories, I recognize that many times the forgotten figures, the secondary characters, actually do play a major role in the biblical story. So last week, we looked at Abraham. I taught you a new song last week. I'm really disappointed. I thought we'd sing it today. <laughs> Father Abraham had many wives. Many wives had Father Abraham. Sarah's one of them, and Hagar, too. And uh, yeah, I can't even remember the rest of it because it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> one, of those, one of those characters in the Abrahamic stories that is uh, not insignificant and not irrelevant is Hagar, that Egyptian slave woman who becomes Abraham's second wife. I felt like we should not leave Hagar and the promises God made to her where we did last week. So let's jump ahead just a couple of chapters to Genesis 21. 
there are a number of things as we look at the story of Abraham and the promises God has made to him. There are a number of things that come together here now in chapter 21. And the narrator goes out of his way. I take it the narrator is Moses. The narrator goes out of his way to make the main thing the main thing. And if we miss the main thing in this story, shame on us. Because the main thing in the story in Genesis 21 does not revolve around Sarah or Abraham or Hagar or Ishmael. The main thing in the story is that the narrator wants us to understand that God is faithful to keep his promises. Many people struggle with the faith because of the experiences of life which make it hard to trust a God who promises to, to be faithful to do what he has promised. And one of the reasons for that sometimes is that we expect God to behave in a way, we expect God to do what God has never promised that he would do. And to hold God responsible for failing to do something that he had not promised that he would do is to demand something of him we would never demand of anyone else. And that's Abraham's struggle. That God had, that's actually not Abraham's struggle. The second issue is that, that God's timing, this sounds so trite and cliched, but God's timing is not our timing. And many times people struggle with the faithfulness of God because we don't like to have to wait. It has been a long time since God appeared to Abraham and made promises to him. It has been a long time. Chapter 21 begins, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. Who's the major character in this story? God. The major human character in this story, exactly the same as the story in Genesis 16. It's Sarah. It's not Abraham. It's Sarah. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Do you hear it? The Lord was gracious. There's nothing in Sarah that deserves what God had done for her. God was gracious to her, as he had said, and the Lord did what he had promised. It's like, we got it the first time, but we actually don't often get it the first time. So the narrator repeats it, as he had said, as he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, just in case we missed it, at the very time God had promised him. And we read that and say, wait a second, there was no time promised, but it's exactly the time that God intended. Everything happens on time. Should go without saying, but uh, I'm going to say it anyway. In order for this child to be conceived, Sarah and Abraham had to do that thing that people do, which results in the, this was not a virgin-born child. This child, as Harry Chapin said, came into the world in the usual way. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him. 
as God commanded him. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. It's 14 years after what happened back in Genesis 16. Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. He's now 100 years old. If my math is correct, that's 14 years. If that's 14 years, that means Ishmael is how old? 14. I have vivid memories of what follows in my head being described as sibling rivalry as these two young boys. They're not two young boys. One of them is very young, and the other one is a teenager. But first, here's Sarah's response. God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Ironic, because when God said to her, you will have a son, her response was exactly the same response Abraham had. She laughed because 89-year-old women don't have babies. That's the point. It was a miraculous birth. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have, a bo yet I have born a son in his old age? The child grew. The setting changes, act two in the story, the child grew and was weaned, probably two to three years old. And on the date, which means if it's three years later, Ishmael is how old now? 17. I don't do math very well, so thank you. This is helpful. On that day, Isaac was, was weaned, and Abraham, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born, Hagar the Egyptian, Hagar, her husband's second wife, but she don't even recognize her as, his, as a rival, as a wife. She is Hagar the Egyptian. She saw that Hagar, the, the son he had, she had born, whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was laughing. Now probably this is a less positive use of laughing. Uh, there, not surprisingly, there would have been sibling rivalry between those two. And most translations translate the word here as, it's not just laughing, but mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave wife and her son. For that woman's, that woman, that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac, whose name means he laughs. Get rid of that slave wife and her son, conveniently skipping over that her son is Abraham's son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son. The Genesis 16, Abraham, in similar circumstances, says to her, whatever you want, do it. Passive, um, uncompassionate, inconsiderate, doesn't care about his wife or the child she is carrying. This Abraham is different. 
we actually see some development in Abraham's character, some development in Abraham's faith. This Abraham was greatly distressed, not merely distressed. He is greatly distressed. Genesis 16, Abraham doesn't care. This one does care because it concerned his son. It seems most likely that the son who is in view here is the son Ishmael, whose name means God hears. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave wife. Listen to what Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your seed, your offspring, will be reckoned. But I will make the son of the slave wife into a nation also, because he is your seed. Abraham now hears in his own ears, what Hagar had heard from the Lord. When the Lord said, I will make him into a great nation, I will bless him, I will care for him, Abraham trusted what God had told his wife and the message she brought back. Abraham now hears it for himself. So early the next morning, Abraham took some food, a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Here's the same story. Here is, but things are radically different. It's the same story. She's running away from her husband to protect herself. She is running, she's out in the desert, in the wilderness, in the language she wandered She's lost. The last time she made this journey, she was pregnant. Now she has a son with her who's about how old? About 17 years old. She's not alone. The water's gone. She threw the boy under one of the bushes. That's language that sounds like this is an infant. and the narrator doesn't explain, maybe he's weak, how, how this is, that she put him under one of the bushes. And she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. Yet a bow shot is still close enough to be able to hear. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Let me stop here for a moment and ask you to do something that's really hard for Bible church, Bible-believing, conservative evangelical people to do. Because we're, we're rationalists, we're intellectuals, we do Bible study, but just put yourself in the circumstances of this mother and son who were alone in the wilderness their water is gone, their food is gone, they don't have GPS, they don't have satellite service, to, like, they're, they're alone in the wilderness. You feel it? You feel the loneliness, the hunger pains, 
the thirst. They've just left one of the richest men in the world, one of the most powerful men in the world. They've, they've just left provision, plenty for hundreds of people. And they're alone in the wilderness with nothing, no hope, no future. They have nothing but God. Heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, he's not looking for information, he knows. What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God, who hears, has heard the boy, whose name is God Hears. God has heard the boy crying as he lays there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. There it is again. God will protect him. God will provide. God will raise up a nation through him. He will be a wild donkey of a man. He'll be in hostility towards his brothers, but God will provide. God will care for him. And throughout the history of the relationship of the descendants of these two sons, each one of them has wished that God would not be faithful to keep his promise. But when God says, I will make of him a great nation, and I will make of him a great nation, God means what he says. So you guys better figure out a way to get along, or you end up destroying all of us. Because they are both Abraham's seed. And then God opened her eyes. Similar language shows up a couple of chapters later when God opens Abraham's eyes to see a ram in the thicket. God opens her eyes to see the water that's been there the whole time. Or maybe God just dropped water there. Maybe there was no water, but now there is. No problem at all for the creator of the universe. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And this is the way the Hagar-Ishmael stories come to an end with this summary statement. And God was with the boy as he grew up. His name is God Hears because God hears. But the God who hears does not merely hear. The God who hears responds to what he hears. And the God who hears is with the boy as he grew up. That's a pretty big deal. Ishmael, or Isaac rather, doesn't need God to be with him because he's with Abraham and God is with Abraham. But Ishmael, who's living out in the wilderness by himself, needs the protection of the God of Abraham to provide for him. And God does. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you that the promise that God made to Ishmael and the promise God makes to us, I will never leave you or forsake you, is a promise that means nothing bad will ever happen to you. But if I told you that, you'd know I was lying because bad stuff happens to God's people all the time. Whole, any number of Coptic Christians died this morning in Egypt because of an ISIS attack. Around the world, 
Christians have been dying for years, not because God is not faithful, but his faithfulness does not guarantee, does not promise that nothing bad will happen. It merely promises, let me take merely out of that, it promises that nothing happens to us which is outside of the sovereignty of the God who hears and the God who sees. This boy lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. God is faithful. God promised Abraham, I will bless you. I will make you the father of a great nation. Later, God changes the promise. I will make you the father of many nations. And in order for Abraham to be the father of many nations, God must provide, protect, and care for the sons of Abraham. And he promises to do so. In fact, he promises to do so to each one of them. Both Ishmael and Isaac here. The God of Abraham say, I will care for you. I will provide for you. I will raise you. I will, I will, I will take care of you. I will make you a great nation. This God is faithful to keep his promises. Although it's, there's some value in talking about the morality of Abraham's sex life. There's some value of talking about the problem of sibling rivalry. Although there's problem in talking about how these characters behave the major character in this story and the thing that's most important for us as we walk away is the character of Abraham's God. This God is faithful and this God desires people of all nations, all peoples to worship him. I didn't forget that today is Palm Sunday The events of Palm Sunday are fairly familiar. They're very familiar to those of us who have grown up in the church. Mark describes them, the events in Mark chapter 11, but then Mark does something that none of the other gospel writers do. And I want you to hear it today. Jesus and his disciples approach Bethphage and, and Bethany. He sends two of his disciples to get a donkey for him to ride, has apparently made prior instructions because he said if anyone asks, just tell them it's taken care of, the Lord has need of it. They found a colt. People there said, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they said, oh, that's fine. And they brought the colt to Jesus, verse 7, threw their cloaks upon it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Your branches just waved them. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From Psalm 118, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Probably without realizing that the, this hope that they have been expressing for years is actually being fulfilled in their midst as they are longing for the king to come, probably without realizing that the king is here. Their hope is being realized. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. 
And since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, he and his disciples make their way back into Jerusalem. Jesus sees a fig tree not bearing fruit. Not surprising, it's not the time for fruit. Jesus curses the fig tree. It's a really interesting story, subject for another day. On reaching Jerusalem, verse 15, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said to them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for the Jews? My house will be a house of prayer for Jewish males. My house will be a house of prayer for adult Jewish males. It is not a house of prayer for women. It's not a house of prayer for the descendants of other nations. It's not a house of prayer for Gentiles. It's not a house of prayer for Africans. It's a house of prayer for Jewish adult males. Quoting from Isaiah 56, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Here was the problem. One of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and one of the line of descendants from one of let me start that again. One of the descendants of Abraham begins to believe and his followers believe that God's plan and God's faithfulness is to them and not to others. It's all about us. It's all about Israel. It's all because there's not enough blessings of God to go around. And we have to preserve and protect. And they begin to establish boundaries and borders that the women are out the Gentiles are out, and the sons of Ishmael, they are way out. Forgetting that God's plan from the very beginning, the gospel announced in advance to Abraham, is that all nations will be blessed through you. And the means by which all nations will be blessed is standing in Jerusalem, the seed of Abraham, whose name is Jesus, is the one through Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male or female, all blessed in him, that the boundaries, the walls, the borders are destroyed in the house of God, in the temple. One of the other childhood misconceptions I had was that the building we call the church is the replacement of the temple in Jerusalem. And that's not the way it works. Because the temple in Jerusalem is now gone, and it is replaced with not a building, but a people who are inclusive of all. And I think that's true not merely of the universal church, 
but it should be true of the local church. Whosoever will may come. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, Republicans, Democrats. Oh, that's probably going too far. <laughs> All welcome together because what unites us is not our ethnicity or our sexuality, our political affiliation. What unites us is Jesus. I wish that's where the story ended, but it doesn't. The story ends with the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they said, no, not going to happen. We're not about to give up what we have spent generations building. We're not about to change. We're not about to make things different in the future. So how will we solve this problem? Let's, let's kill him. And that'll make him go away. Biblical scholars argue about this because they argue about all kinds of things. Whether there were two different crowds on Palm Sunday and um, at the trial of Jesus, or whether it's the same crowd who changes from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him. Crucify him. It's an important week in the Christian calendar. It's an incredibly important week in the history of Christianity. As the crowd's reception of Jesus on Sunday turns into the crowd's rejection of Jesus merely a couple of days later. in the upper room with his disciples. Jesus calls us, and he calls us today, to see ourselves as part of his body, to be a people who create places for all nations to worship, for all nations to come together, because our unity is found in the faithfulness of this God. Our unity is not found in our political parties. Our unity is not found in our musical taste. Our unity is not found in our ethnicity. Our, munity, music, our, our unity is not found in anything other than the seed of Abraham, whose name is not Isaac, or Ishmael, even, they, even though they are his seed, but in the son of Mary and Joseph, whose name is Jesus. Father, I hope and pray that our responses to you would not be the response of the chief priests and his opponents, but our response to your son would be one of worship adoration and in demonstrating our worship of him we would accept and love one another for his sake and in his name we pray amen